In this episode, we'll go through what we've learned studying Ali Abdal and his techniques. And we'll share how we've applied it to our YouTube channels and the results we've seen from that. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Nick and Sanji podcast, where we go through our tips and tricks on how to grow a YouTube channel as we ourselves go on that journey. Welcome back, Nick. How are you today? I'm good. I'm feeling energized. How are you? Yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Um, <laughs> exciting topic about how and what we've learned from studying Ali Abdal. I think we've both been big fans of Ali uh, since the early days of our YouTube channels, and there's mm. a lot we can learn from him. Mm. And um, yeah, and, and he's been around for a while. I think we were just chatting beforehand. Um, so if you don't know who Ali Abdal is, he's you've probably seen at least one of his videos on the internet at some point. Where even if you've not clicked on it, you've probably seen his face. He's got about 5 million subscribers. He's done 800 videos. And he started about seven years ago, and his big niche is really around productivity on um, productivity for busy people, let's say. Um, he's also done quite a lot of work around how to get started on YouTube, how to become like a part-time YouTube creator. He's done a lot of courses on that. I've, I was actually part of one of his courses back in the early days um, when he released that back in 2020, I believe. So in this episode, we'll go through some of the things we've learned and also how we've applied them and some of the results we've seen. We've got about nine tips that we want to share. We'll go through them pretty quickly because they are pretty um, straightforward things. And make sure you do hang around for our tip of the week. I think it's going to be quite interesting, and it's probably something that Ali, if he watched this episode, would appreciate because I think it's something he himself often reiterates. So uh, let's get into it. So the first one, and this is a really obvious one, but I'll, I'll call it out pretty early, is around it's really important to be consistent in uploading your videos. Even looking at Ali's stats, he's put out about 800 videos over the last seven years. That's an average of about two-ish or a little bit more than two a year. That's some pre pretty crazy, sorry, two, two a week, um, which is some pretty crazy consistency. I think both for you and me, Nick, um, having been in the YouTube game a while, consistently putting out two a week is, is pretty insane. Yeah, it's crazy. We were talking just before about how I was comparing it to my own upload um, schedule and the amount of I've, videos I've put out, which is one a week. And I've been doing YouTube for about four years, and he's been doing it for seven. So he's been he's done about fourteen years of my <laughs> upload schedule, which kind of puts it in perspective. And I think that it's a good, it's kind of encouraging in the sense that um, I think you know it just shows how much content you need to put out there. You know, mm. in order to, I think, develop your own um, skills and ability, and you know your writing skills, your what all the different skills that are involved in creating videos, and also just the amount of um, the, the amount of videos out there increases the odds that people are going to find your content. So the more videos you've got out, the more content you've got out, the more spread and reach you've got, um, the more likely people are to find you. So yeah, super important. I think. Um... We all sort of agree one a week is probably the um, the key thing that everyone sort of kicks off with. I think Alia said two two a week is is pretty good for growth, and then three is is great for growth, but very hard to sustain mm. um, unless you've got a full on team. Um, yeah. Something I haven't looked into. I think that was his. Um, I didn't actually check if that number contained also his shorts. Actually, that's probably a very good point to call out. Because right. shorts are probably not too hard. Well, we've actually talked about it. They're, they're as hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but shorts, you know, if that number is also includes shorts, so understandable, you can maybe pump 
pump a few of those out. Yep. Um, but yeah, there you go. So the next one is around the importance of understanding your audience. Now, this is something I learned from Ali and his team in the early days of doing the part-time YouTuber Academy, was really sitting down and understanding what is your typical audience member like or what are some two or three categories of audience members that might be watching your videos. So um, the first one is really around um, sitting and understanding your ideal person who actually wants to click and watch this particular video and who will keep coming back to watching your videos, who are going to be your true fans. So for me, it's going to be people who are really interested in share investing, but also just generally improving their life. It's also likely going to be mainly males. I think male audiences do often end up speaking well to male audiences initially. Um, and it's also going to be people who are going to be similar to my age group. So mid, mid 30 year olds, maybe going a little bit older. Um, but you know, I do think I probably attract a few of the, the younger 20 year olds as well, who are interested in getting started in their investing journey, probably wanting to hear from someone who's a bit older, who's been on the journey. Um, so far. And then naturally, it's going to be Australians, because I do speak primarily to Australians and to the Australian investing context. So I guess that's, I wouldn't say it's by design, it's just been the natural default ending up. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably me and, and understand that. Then there's also going to be a category of people who are not necessarily going to be my true fans, but are going to see my videos and would pop in to actually have a look and say, oh yeah, I've seen this guy around. I wonder what he's going to be talking about on this whole investing thing. But they're probably not going to subscribe, um, but they will watch my videos every once in a while. So, yeah, that's a big one is really having a deep understanding of your of your audience, and then that would help you play out what your videos and targeting what your videos should be like. Mm. I think that's something I kind of learnt from Ali via you, Sanji, was that whole concept. Because, again, I think for me in the earlier days, I was just creating a whole bunch of content that wasn't necessarily one niche or definitely wasn't one niche. But I think as I've progressed and figured out what what, what types of content I like to make, what, type, what types of content I don't like to make, I think um, figuring out what that audience is that I'm trying to cater to has really helped me focus my content because I think before it was quite scattered. There was a lot of, you know, a lot of variety. But figuring out, okay, I want to make content that's, that's going to help small business owners and individuals, you know, that I want to target um, people who are just getting started in content creation, people who don't have a lot of background in videography and um, uh, that type of thing, video editing, all that type of stuff has really helped me focus. And then um, it's also one of the biggest benefits I've found is it helps me come up with video ideas a lot, e a lot more easily because if, if I'm thinking about who's this actually for, um, I know that they've got specific problems that I can help with. And then I can write a huge list of, you know, different video ideas that I can make. Whereas before it was, when it was general, it was just like, oh, where do I start? So yeah, that's, that's definitely very, a very important part. Yeah, definitely the whole idea around once you know your audience, the ideas do start to flow a lot easier mm. and how you structure it, the level at which you'll speak at, especially if you're talking to beginners versus super advanced Although I've rarely seen stuff on YouTube that is super advanced, I think they people most end up, you know, realizing YouTube is for the um, for the sort of the intro audience. But yeah, yep. it's probably once you know you get into the super advanced, maybe then you're putting stuff behind a paywall or you're creating courses mm -hmm. and, and all of that. Yeah. So yeah, super important to understand your audience, and it makes sense in any kind of mm -hmm. product environment. You need to know who you're selling to. 
Yeah. The the next big one is around the importance of using lists. So if you look at a lot of Ali's videos, they're all list ideas. And I say the importance, but I think if you are starting out on YouTube, start with just lists, doing videos on lists. So meaning three things I like about this, five tips about that, seven tips on here, three tips I learned on X, very easy things to do to sit down, to hammer out the ideas, and then very easy for someone to watch and learn about. The only challenge with that now over these days is someone can easily watch, start watching a video and then just look at your timestamps and figure out all your <laughs> tips pretty quickly. Yeah. So I've seen some people manage this by looking at, by rephrasing their timestamps to being tip one, tip two, tip three, mm. tip four. And yep. that way they kind of force you to hang around a bit. Um, <laughs> I'd encourage you to, you know, test out what works with your audience. Um, you know, yep. timestamps are handy in long tutorials, but yep. if it is a tips thing, then, you know, naturally it'll get someone to click on your video, but they may not hang around or they might just jump around and be like, yep, I know that. I know that. I know that. Oh, I have heard of that. I'll just skip to that video. At the mm. end of the day, they're getting value. You're not getting them watching everything, but hey, they're getting value. Yeah. Another way I've found to break that down is to give the main section, the main sections of the video as timestamps and then have the subsections mm. not listed. So they sort of know what they're expecting, which I think um, helps them want to watch the video because okay, they know, okay, I'm going to get this out of the video, but they don't know exactly what they're getting. So I think that's um, that's helped. But yeah, using lists, even just for script writing, it makes it so much easier. I'm definitely, um, and I've even got one of Ali Abdul's, I still use the the skeleton of Ali Abdul's um, script writing template. I still use yep. that to this day. So yeah, definitely really good. There's a lot to be said about um, the power of Notion and Ali's usage of Notion, but we'll, yeah. we'll leave that for another day. Um, yeah. So then the next, so I've got two tips left and then we'll, we'll come on to some of yours, Nick. So second last one I've got is the importance of building a team to make YouTube more fun and sustainable. I think this is probably mm. going to have overlap with stuff we've talked about in the past. Um, I think Ali has said when he hired an editor, that was probably the single biggest thing that really helped him um, mm. in the early days of the channel. But I don't remember how long he said it took him to get to that point of hiring an editor. Naturally, it's very nervous because you have to pay someone. And if your channel is not really making money, you're, you're, you know, it's just an additional outlay on top of your time. Mm. Um, I think Nick, you and I have both said in the past, it's important to start editing your own videos, um, cause you get a feel for what's realistic, what works, you get a feel for your style. Casey Neistat has said, you know, sometimes you make the video in the edit. So you just mm. film a lot of stuff and then you figure out what the video is going to be in the edit. Yeah. Um, I think if you're limited for time, that doesn't always work. It helps a lot if you've thought about everything before recording the video and then editing it through. Mm. Um, so it can go either way, but yeah, I think there's a lot around. It's hard to make YouTube sustainable, especially at two or three videos a week, one man band or one person band. That's really hard. So if you can build a team, whether it's a contracted team or an employee team, do it as soon as you can. But everyone, you know, us included, we all acknowledge how hard it is to financially get that person on your side because it's hard to pay for someone when you're not earning that much money anyway. 
Yeah, and I, I really admire the fact that you got onto an editor quite early. I think it's definitely, I can see how it's helped you. I think that's one thing I wish I'd done is I wish I had outsourced when I was still working like in my old full-time job because then I could have, um, you know, the, the, the money I was making from YouTube was essentially um, disposable income on top of my full-time income. Um, so I could have just used that to build the the channel and got it got it to a better place before I went full time. But because I didn't do that, I'm now in the position where my income from the channel is also my you know my life income. How I pay the bills, so it's harder it's harder for me to take the jump now. Whereas it would have yep. been easy before. So I think if you're watching and you're you're thinking about uh, outsourcing and you haven't gone full time yet, then I I definitely recommend doing it. I think that I wish I'd done that looking back. But yeah. It's the single biggest, um, I think, value for money because um, mm. the other stuff you might do down the track might be a thumbnail editor, a script mm. writer, a general admin assistant, you know, all these people. And then Ali goes even more because he's got he's got a whole business and, and thing related to it, whereas I think to run a YouTube channel, you probably only need a couple of people, but the editor's definitely, definitely your single best person. Um, and it's hard mm. to find a good editor as well. So I think mm. it's it's worth having a panel of editors. I'm in a bit of a tricky situation currently. I don't think I mentioned this to you, Nick, where my editor is, I think, um, is not as available, let's say. Right. And, um, you know, it means I have to get back on the tools potentially or, you know, something else. And people have expected a certain standard from me, which I can't recreate myself. Um <laughs> Which is a thing when you have an editor. So there are there are downsides, and we can talk about that in a future episode. So that's it from me in terms of some of my tips. Nick, how about you? What are some of the things that you've picked up watching and, and learning from Ali Abdal over all these years? Uh, yeah, I think I think one of the first things that I remember learning from him, which seems really basic to me now, but maybe isn't that um, obvious to people who are just getting started. But really thinking about my retention in in my videos. So he taught a lot about. Uh, making sure you keep the viewer engaged and then also having a strong hook and intro so that people are like instantly, you know, wanting to watch the entire video. Because the obviously the benefit of that is the, the longer the retention time, so the more people watch your videos, the more it's going to get recommended um, by YouTube because it, it's basically a signal to YouTube saying that this video is engaging people. It's probably a good video. We should push it more. Um, so I've really built that into my uh my whole strategy now is trying to increase retention on videos and then going back and analyzing what what didn't work for retention like you can see in your youtube analytics with the retention graph you can see where things dropped off and i'll go back and analyze okay what did i do in that section that made people click away um and then i'll look for sections that have high retention i'll say okay what 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 made that part of the video particularly engaging and they'll try and replicate it. So that's definitely a big thing that I've, um, I've gotten from Ellie. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, the other advantage of the, the retention review and, and noticing it is around, um, it tells you which parts of your video are, are things that people are skipping forward to as well, um, mm. which, which I think is super handy to know because I, I learned a lot of the time uh, looking at my retention graphs that my intros were too long. They were just too long. And I just needed yep. to get straight into it. Um, yep. People already know what they're getting. So get straight into it. And then I could see, oh, yeah, people like those sections. So I should focus on that in the future. So, yeah, mm. that's that's something I've also learned from retention. 
Yeah, and I think that was something specific he even talked about was making sure you don't waffle on too much in the intros, which, yeah, it took me a while to, to learn, but when I got there, it made a huge difference. So um, that was definitely a big one. And then the next one was just, I think one of the biggest things I got from Ali was just the inspiration that really anybody can, can you know, do YouTube and make it make it full time. Because I don't know, like I think I'd, I'd watched other YouTubers, you know, people again like Casey Neistat or Pete McKinnon, and you, you look at them and you can tell they've got just like raw talent, you know, like Casey Neistat mm. is just an amazing storyteller, really good filmmaker, and then same with Peter McKinnon, he's obviously very talented, very creative, um, and so it's hard to imagine yourself as a YouTuber when you look when you sort of compare yourself to those sorts of people, but looking at Ali. Um, I mean, obviously he went to Cambridge University and, you know, that type of thing. But he, he, he struck me as more like a regular guy, you know what I mean? And so I think that yeah. really inspired me. Oh, okay, like if he can do it, then then maybe it's possible for me. So, um, yeah, I think that was one of the biggest things I got from Ali, honestly. Um, and then I think the next thing was just uh, making sure I focus on setting my values for the channel and setting uh, sustainable and achievable goals because I think again one of the biggest things I've found in the past 12 months even the past two years really when I since I've gone full-time and just before that um, was I had to figure out how to make it sustainable not mm. just in terms of money but in terms of uh, like mentality because and there's been times especially in the first six months of last year which I've talked about a little bit before where I just really wanted to like quit like it was just mentally draining, you know, like trying to make it work, not knowing if it's going to work, stressing about, you know, whether the next video is going to work or not, that type of thing. Um, and so I think one of the things Ali, again, has has really uh, emphasized over the years is making sure you've got good values behind it, good reasons why you're wanting to create content in the first place, um, and then setting goals that are in line with those values. And I think I've definitely found the more I've thought about my values and reminded myself of the values and then reminded myself of why I'm wanting to create content mm. in the first place, that's what's really made it sustainable for me. Um, and if I, had, if I hadn't done that, I think I would have given up with YouTube a long time ago. So um, yeah, that's definitely been really, really key for me. And then I think the last one, which is relatively practical, um, and he's not the, he, he was the first one who really, I think, taught me about it and i've learned more from other youtubers since then but that's just uh to the importance of building an email list and mm. we've done a whole other podcast episode so if you want to hear more about building an email list then check that ali was definitely the first one that i heard from and i started one i don't know three years ago slowly grew it and it's only in the last six months i've taken it seriously and i can really see the value in it and so again if i had you know really put effort into growing my email list like three years ago, I think it would be a lot bigger now, and I'd, you know, be able to earn a lot more income from it and that type of thing. But um, yeah, another big sort of, uh, I don't know, like key point that that Ali really, you know, uh, taught me about the fundamentals of starting a YouTube channel and creating content, making it sustainable. So yeah, I think those those are the four main things that that I that really stuck out for me when it when it comes to what I've learned from Ali. Yeah, and I think, Nick, um, listening to the last couple, probably one additional one we can throw in would be around um, the importance of diversifying. Mm -hmm. So, and that can mean a, a lot of things. So, first of all, in terms of revenue, um, 
it's very hard to rely on AdSense. AdSense, which is the money you get from YouTube ads, uh, is very variable. It's very easy for that to disappear for whatever reason YouTube deems it or if the, the traffic and attention is just not there. Yeah. Uh, and then secondly, diversifying just helps you um, uh, connect with people outside of the platform as well. So it's great. YouTube as a platform is great, but you are only able to, to access your audience through YouTube. But if you have things like email lists or whatever it is, Instagram accounts, whatever it is out there, that's another way where you can engage with people um, outside of YouTube. And especially the email list is a great way where you've got a direct connection without any platform needed to yep. connect with people. And and you'll be surprised, like I think in the early days when you're when we started as YouTubers, we're just not sure if people actually want to hear from us. Yeah. But I think an email list is a great way to actually identify over time who mm. wants to be in your inner circle, who wants to be part of your journey, who wants to be connected to you in some way. Because I don't, I'm someone who doesn't let uh, emails hang around for too long in terms of my subscription. Like if, I, if I've stopped listening or reading you, I will unsubscribe you. Like you don't disappear. I just straight up unsubscribe you. So yep. if I'm still reading your emails, I'm listening and I'm interested in your content. Totally. Totally. Awesome. All right. So we will move on to tip of the week. So this week, the tip is around the basics of title and thumbnail. And my tip here is make sure your title and thumbnail work together and they're not just repeating each other. So for example, something I've often seen, especially in the personal finance space, is someone will say, top five ETFs for Australia, and they'll be like text in their thumbnail. And then the actual text in the th in the title for the thumbnail is top five ETFs in Australia. So they've basically said the same thing on the title and in the actual picture of the thumbnail. So try to make them a bit different, try to make them complementary. So for example, here's one that I can see from Ali Abdal. Uh, I know if you're listening to us, you won't see this, but I'll just, I'll describe it to you anyway. So when you look at the video that he's got in the, t in the thumbnail, the actual text on the thumbnail is, and what to do about it. So you're instantly getting prompted in this idea of, oh, what's he's asking or he's answering a question. And then you look at the actual title in the video, it's why you feel lost in life. So it's basically you're scrolling through. This is obviously not something that you would search. It's something that would appear on your homepage. You're scrolling through and you see him and you see him with the title or with the thumbnail text saying what to do about it. You think, what's he answering? And you realize, oh, he's asking, he's answering the question that we all feel at the start of a year, <laughs> which is why you feel lost in life. Um, another example is something from Drive Tribe, which is really around cars and connected to the team that used to be a part of Top Gear and currently Grand Tour. And it's got a picture of Jeremy Clarkson standing on the side and it's pointing to, um, there's an arrow pointing to a car. The car is blacked out, so you can't really see the car. You can just see the shape. There's an arrow pointing to it saying 1,700 pounds. And there's big, in big bold text, it says new car exclamation mark. But that's all that's in the actual picture. The actual title in the thumbnail, in the actual text in the thumbnail is we've bought Jeremy Clarkson's favorite hatchback for just 1,700 pounds. How bad is it? And, and whatever it is in there. So it's actually quite good where they've said, 
you know, your uh, your attention's going to get grabbed by Jeremy Clarkson being there. It's going to get grabbed by the fact that it says new car and it's only seventeen hundred pounds. Um, and then, so your eyes have been caught by this, and now you're going to be looking at the actual title to get a bit more detail. And I can tell you, I've actually watched this video, and I'm pretty sure I didn't see Jeremy Clarkson in there saying anything. Like he doesn't actually appear in the video as part of the main content. They've pretty mm. much just used him to say this is something he's referred to in the past. Right. Um, but he doesn't get interviewed. He's just referred to in the video. Right. So, Interesting. Yeah. No, I definitely think there's a lot to that. Um, making sure that the title and the thumbnail work together. Because I mean, yep. we said it before, it's like 80% 80, 80 of the video, 80% uh, of the effort should go into the title and thumbnail and 20% to yes. the video. Um, yep. And yeah, like I've heard people talk about how it's really the packaging of your video. And if the packaging isn't good, nobody's going to open it. So um, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot to unpack and research and learn about titles and thumbnails um, in terms of uh, yeah, making it appealing. So that's good. Yep. So that's it for today. Thanks all for joining us and, and making it this far in our episode. Please do hit the like button, subscribe, check us out on all our platforms. We're across all your major podcasting platforms and here on YouTube. Uh, please check out some of our other videos where we talk about do YouTubers need websites and the power of having a newsletter. They're all there in our, in our little back catalog. Uh, we've got an episode coming up on how you can diversify yourself. So not just being on YouTube, how you can diversify yourself into other areas, which we think is quite important, both from our own experience and what we've seen and heard from other YouTubers. And please feel free to leave any comments or questions below. We're looking to do a Q&A episode some point in the future, so we're just collecting a few questions and uh, out there that we can help answer in the future. So, Nick, where can people find you outside of um, this episode? I am on YouTube, just Nick Kendall. And then my uh, newsletter is Create Better. So you can sign up to that using the link below. Fantastic. And I'm on Sanji Sen on YouTube as well. Sanji Sen on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, yeah, and you can find me through some of the links I'll put in the description below. And hey, if you're interested in also starting a podcast, we've got a link below to the platform we use, Riverside. Feel free to use that link below. Uh, it helps us with supporting the channel going forward. Bye for now. Bye for now.